All right, our speaker today is a, a spiritual giant. He is our fearless leader, and he's already pledged $10 million to the capital campaign finance. Let's welcome Pastor Greg Mott. Hey, it was 10 million pesos, though, is what it was. Just kidding. No, I'm, I'm pledging, too, so I'm in. Don't think, what? I wonder if these guys are doing what they say they're doing. Let me kind of arrange my stuff. Let's go to Chapter 5, if you've got your books. Chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And we are going to get into some pretty tough stuff, guys, on these, these, these next few weeks. So this is one of those things where you're just going to have to be thoughtful you have to let God just speak to your heart because it's going to be a little bit of a tough go for some of you. Others of you, you're going to think, I have the greatest dad in the entire world. This has been an easy road for me. I'll tell you something funny. This morning, um, you know, Kelly has her alarm on the bedside table of her side. I have my alarm on the bedside table because we, it doesn't seem like we get up at the same time. Uh, when we first got married, we probably had the same alarm to be really unified. And then finally, like, forget this, you know. So we got on the other side. Well, she set her alarm so she could take Grayson to school. He goes to the FBA, and because um, I'm going to be here, she set her alarm. Well, she changed the time when she set her alarm. So the alarm went off this morning. Music started playing, and I looked over and it said 6:45 this morning. And I went, and I'm out of bed going, Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! I'm just freaking out. She, and then she pops up, What? 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 In a panic, and then finally figured out it was 5:05. And I thought I had completely missed you guys. And I had images of you with taquitos just cussing me, you know, just, that no good if he can't even come on it, you know, so that was, that was a scary moment, so I'm still kind of, and it really kind of messes up a couple hours of your life, I mean, I'm, I won't recover till about 9 o'clock, you know, until I get back, but we're talking about the wound of a father, the wound of a father, and in, remember, or that's where we're going in that, in this one we're going to talk about remembering dad, but as we talk about these wounds, this can be tough stuff. It really is. And I want you to know it's okay to have emotions. We're trying in a lot of this to just free you up to be able to have emotions and to be able to see that it's okay. Not that we have to cry, not that we have to be upset about those things, but it's okay to feel something. Sometimes as men, we try to keep those feelings at arm's length manageable. And there's times that you just come and you, you just got to get with, with God on things. Um, I remember a time that I just prayed over some family things in college, and I just got on my knees and I put my face into the, to the, uh, to the couch there and prayed on my knees. And I just bawled my eyes out. And I was a college guy, and I didn't even know really what I was crying about. There was just a lot of stuff that was just like, ugh, I felt like I opened this door, and everything from this closet just started falling out. I got a great mom. I got a great dad. But everybody's got issues. My parents were divorced when I was two, so there's things I've had to deal with from that. And you just kind of have to cruise along with that. So as we talk about these things, We've got to remember Dad and be able to remember him in a way that, that we can look and say, okay, this is, this is a good memory, this is a tough memory, um, but let's, let's cruise on with it. Jeffrey Dahmer is not a guy that you would want to claim as your son. He's not somebody that you'd say, you know what, Jeffrey Dahmer is a guy that I'm really excited about being my son. He murdered 17 people uh, in 1992 and was sentenced to 975 years in prison. His dad wrote a story about that, and Jeffrey was actually killed by the inmates after two years of being there. So his dad wrote this story, and he wrote this. He said, I was, I, and so I wasn't there to see him as he began to sink into himself. I wasn't there to sense that he might be drifting towards an imaginable realm, unimaginable realm of fantasy and isolation that would take me nearly 30 years to figure out. 
There are so many absentee fathers, and some of them are right there in the house. And who you grew up with, your dad might have been distant in, in physicalness. Uh, he might have been distant and lived right there at your address. But that fatherlessness that we have in society, it changes everything. It really messes us up. I want to give you some statistics to go in your little boxes there. Um, and here are the statistics. In 1960, the percentage of children living without a biological father were 82.5%. The number one of them, uh, or excuse me, reverse of that, living with a biological father were 82.5%. Then uh, percentage of living apart from it is 17.5. So, okay, that, that makes sense. 1970, 77.6 to 22.4%. I'll just give you the round numbers. You can get, if you want the decimal points on the next two, you can do it. But uh, 1980, 68% are living with their fathers. Can you see the downward shift? And then now, 32% are living apart. 1990, 62% to 38%. So it's, it's going down. It's going down. Now, some of the ones in 1960 might have been absentee but in the house, but at least they were there. You could say, where's Dad? And Dad's coming home after work, or Dad's at the dinner table. But slowly but surely, it started going down. As I look around the room, a, a lot of us were kind of born in the years it started sliding. And we were part of the new statistics. I was born in, in 70, so I was a part of the first jump down. You know, some of y'all looking around in the, in the 60s were born, some of y'all before that, and that's fine as well. But it just slides on and on. Proverbs 17.6 uh, says that the glory of the sons is their dad. The glory of the sons is their dad. Building the case that there's something very important about a father. Something very important about a father. Some of you, as we talk, you'll be looking forward and saying, I got a, a boy or a daughter and, and I need to be a great dad or I want to be a great dad when God blesses me with some, some children. And on it goes. Some of you are going to look back and say, you know what, I need to talk about the things of my dad and how he responded. We're going kind of both directions in this. The glory of the sons is the dad. There's something really special Dad is Superman to kids. Now, that doesn't give us a weight to hold of responsibility that's unbearing. It gives us an anchor to our soul. It gives us a purpose that we can have. Many of us, as we've been talking about all these things about men, we're weightless. We just, we just bounce around. We're a bumper car with no direction. Sons and daughters give us weight to the soul. It says, stay in one place. It says, stay in one spot. It says, Go through this and, and stick to it and be a man of integrity. And at the same time, we have wounds that come from the weightlessness possibly of our dad, that he wasn't there, or he didn't say things that carried weight. He didn't give us great advice. There's a song that I love. Um, it's by Phillips, Craig, and Dean, which I'd recommend, particularly if you're a father, to be able to get this, this album. Um, it's on their, their, kind of their greatest hits thing, but it says, I want to be just like you because he wants to be just like me. And it's talking about the child wants to be like the dad. And the dad's saying, I want to be like you, God. And I remember I was listening to that song uh, one time, and it came on my little iTunes thing, and it just came on, and I start listening to it. I start singing along, typing an email. By the end of it, I'm like, <laughs> you know, and it says, I want to be just like you because he wants to be just like me. I want to be a holy example for his innocent eyes to see. I want to be a living Bible Lord uh, for my little boy to read. I want to be just like you because he wants to be just like me. And I'm in the parenting stage of I'm hero right now. I know I'm going to move to heel, you know, later on in some spots. But right now I'm hero. And so I just bawled my eyes out of my office. I walked over and visited my son. I just said, I'm, I'm going to see Grayson. I just went over there and hung out with him. 
Because there's a weight that it gives us as fathers to be able to say, okay, this is important. This is what's happening. The first little blank that you've got there is the definition of a wound. An ongoing emotional, ongoing emotional, social, or spiritual deficit that, deficit that, that's your blank, ordinarily met in a healthy relationship with dad must be overcome by other means. So deficit, that's healthy relationships. The next blank, other means. A wound, this wound is an ongoing emotional, social deficit. We're empty with it. We don't have enough of it. It's ordinarily met in a healthy relationship with dad. Now it must be overcome by other means. Now it must be overcome by other means. I'll read you a, a quote from David Blakenhorn. Um, from his book, Fatherless America, and uh, Eric, thanks for running around on the quotes for you. They just go in time. I'm skipping around. He's got to jump around. Okay. It says this, As a father, the good family man is not perfect. There we go. <clears throat> the good family man knows that he's not perfect, uh, but he's good enough to be irreplaceable. He's a father on the premises, on these premises. His children need him, and he strives to give them what they need every day. He knows that nothing can substitute for him. Nothing. Either he's a father or his children are fatherless. He would never consider himself to not be that important. We are important as dads. Your dad was important to you. And when we don't have that healthy relationship, what happens? You can go back to the fatherless wound if you want to. Um, If we don't have that ongoing healthy relationship, we try to find it in other ways. So, you wonder what your drive is sometimes in business? You wonder what your drive is? Some of that's personality. I got it a little bit too. I got type A. I'm going for it. Let's go for it. Some of that, though, is trying to get dad to tell you he's proud of you. Still, and you're 50 years old. Some of that, you got to be right, is because somebody already told you, told you so many times you gotta be, that you're always wrong. There's a wound that has happened with us, and if we don't deal with that wound of that deficit of that healthy relationship with dad... You're going to be running and trying to accomplish, trying to get enough accolades, enough money, enough I'm right type stuff that all you're doing is trying to fill up what a little six-year-old boy is still looking for. That's the boy in you that now it's, it's encompassing the man. Now, we ought to all know better at this age, shouldn't we? But we don't. We don't. There's a deficit. Jesus Christ must fill that deficit. He must be your, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be His name. If He doesn't fill that deficit, you're going to end up with some wounds and you're going to try to be getting it somewhere else. And your wife can't give it to you. Girlfriend can't give it to you. Sex can't give it to you. Money can't give it to you. Accomplishment can't give it to you. Stop. Time out. Assess your wound. Assess the deficit. And it'll save you from running down a whole lot of cul-de-sacs with you know, your hair on fire trying to get something done. Fathers have wounded us in many ways. Blessed us, yes, but wounded us as well. What are the three words that you would use to describe your dad? If you were to think of three little words, you've got blanks there, you just kind of think on it. You're going to do this in your small group as well. But what are the three words that you would use to describe your dad? Think about that just for a second.
Three words to describe your dad. For me, I'll just be honest with you, I put these three things. Sports, working, trying. Those are the three words that, that I mean, he, he loves sports all the time. Uh, still does. Working, works hard. He, he'd be a guy that'd be up till who knows what hour posting. He does uh, things with, with uh, insurance to kind of make calls on folks, not an insurance salesman. He's explained to me what he's done like for 10 years. I still don't really know, but I don't think it's mafia related. Um, that and then uh, and then trying. He's he's trying. He's trying. I mean, he's he's going for. It. He's trying. You know, misses on some, hits on some, but he's trying. So, those those three words are what it is. What what is it that describes that for you? Because there's a lot of things that we'll go to that our dad reminds us of. I like sports because probably my dad likes sports. I remember at A and M when I was there, I got season tickets to A and M and had my my stadium seats. Would go to the game. We tailgate. And then finally I went. Why am I doing this? I'm doing this because that's what my dad would do with LSU. That's what he's big into. So that's what we grew up doing. And then finally I went, this is costing me hundreds of dollars a year to watch A&M play UTEP. You know, I don't want, and if you went to University of Texas at El Paso, that's, God bless you. But I don't want to pay $50 a seat to watch that game. You know, so on it went. But it was me realizing that. Sometimes I'll turn on uh, Sunny 99.1 because that's what we'd listen to on the way to visit my grandparents at night. And it'd be like, so to me it's this relaxing moment of safety if I'm driving at night with kind of, easy listening music going on. What is it about your dad that those three words, and you'll be able to discover a couple things. Now let me give you the results of an absent father wound. First blank on page 21, anger and pain. Anger and pain. Do you ever sense in you some type of, some of you really have to deal with this at a deeper level, just angry. you just mad. I mean, if we scratch underneath the surface, if we just scratch a little bit, we get anger out of you. That's what comes out. Or, or are you at peace? And some of it's coming from an absent father wound, that there's anger that's right there. Um, James Tony, a middleweight boxing champion, said this, I fight with anger. My dad, he did my mom wrong. He made my mom, mom work two jobs, and he left his responsibilities behind. I can never forgive that. I hope my father reads this article, because if he ever decides to come out of the woodwork, I'll be ready for him. Everything I do in the ring is all about that. I look at my opponent and I see my dad. So I have to take him out. I'll do anything I have to to get my dad out of there. I mean, that's, hopefully you're not there, you know. But there's anger that we have in those spots. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training of the Lord. Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Anger begins to come out of that empty deficit that we're talking about. So you get to be angry out of that. There's pain out of that. Anger, gentlemen, is a secondary emotion. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's usually to cover up hurt. So when you experience somebody in your workplace that's angry or you're angry, that's, that's a secondary emotion. That's not a primary emotion. That's a secondary emotion. And it's usually there to cover up hurt. It's a defense mechanism to say, no one's going to hurt me again. We're angry with our wives, we're angry at our boss, we're angry at politics, we're angry at this, we're angry at that, you know. And then James uh, chapter 2, I believe, no, James 1.20 says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So once you get angry, it's, it's not going to achieve the righteousness of God unless it's holy anger, Jesus flipping the table stuff, but, you know, I'm not usually smart enough to figure out fleshly anger and holy anger, so I just try to take, stay away from all of it together. Let's go on. Number two, 
extreme behaviors. Extreme behaviors. Get my water here. That absent father wound ends up with extreme behaviors, addictions, obsessions, behaviors. So we end up, that pendulum swings way over. So we extreme. Now we're really, really into work. We're really, really into this hobby. We're really, really into this, um, you know, uh, sporting event. We're really, really into all those things. Now there's always, we should work hard, we should have hobbies, all those sort of things. I'm saying the pendulum sing way out here. We get so into it because it's that little six-year-old boy looking for daddy to tell him he's, he's doing a good job. So we get extreme behaviors. Number three, extreme behaviors is how pain is numbed. Addictions and all those things numb our pain. Uh, inner sense of lostness or incompleteness. An inner sense of lostness or incompleteness. We don't have that weight that's holding us down that in a good way, that, that weight of Superman in a sense that gives us purpose in there. So we end up with an inner sense of lostness or incompleteness. You see where we're going with how we end up in these weird behaviors as men and pushing all our emotions down? Because we're trying to numb it. And if alcohol can numb it, if sex can numb it, if accomplishment can numb it, then great, give it. Let's, let's take it because we've got to numb this pain because we don't know how to deal with it. Listen to Burt Reynolds, kind of a a man's man in a sense of uh, Smokey and the Bandit days. You know, he had the, the black Trans Am that probably all of us wanted, you know, at one point. Now, if you drove that black Trans Am, we'd, we'd probably wonder about you a little bit. But, you know, uh, it, it's, this is what he said. My dad was the chief of police. When he came in the room, all the lights and the air went out of it. There's a saying in the South, and this is good. There's a saying in the South, no man is a man until his father tells him he is. It means that someday when you're 30 or 40, grown up, this man whom, who you respect and love and who you want to love, you hope he'll put his arms around you and say, you know, you're a man now. You, have, you, you don't have to do those crazy things you've been doing, getting into fistfights and all that to defend honor. You don't have to prove anything to me. You're a man. I love you. But with my dad and me, we never hugged. We never kissed. We never said I love you. No, we never even cried together. So what happened was that later I was desperately looking for someone who would say, Bert, you're grown up now. I approve of you. I love you. I, you don't have to do these things anymore. But that didn't happen. I was lost inside. Most of my life I could not connect. I was incomplete. I didn't know, and I didn't know then what I needed to know now. Isn't that amazingly insightful from the bandit? I mean, you know amazingly insightful. You're not a man until somebody tells you you're a man. I'm telling you as your pastor, you're a man. You're a man. I love you. Guys around your table love you. You are worthwhile. You don't have to prove anything to anybody else. If you hadn't proved it to yourself by now, you're never going to prove it to yourself. You've accomplished enough. You've done enough. All of those things. You are a man. But that absence of the Father saying that it's huge. So dads, we need to hear that and bless our children with that and let them know that. And those of us, you know, that had that absent father spot, we need to be able to receive that and go, you know what? Okay, my heavenly father has said he loves me. My heavenly father says he approves of me. My heavenly father has said, I'm a man, I can do these things. The fourth thing, and this is an interesting result, homosexuality. Homosexuality. We're just getting gut level honest here, guys. Dr. 
Moberly said this, Much, if not all, of homosexuality depends on difficulties in the parent-child relationship, especially in the early years of life. The homosexual, whether man or woman, has suffered some deficit in the relationship with the parent of the same sex. And later there is a corresponding drive to make good that deficit through the medium of same-sex same-sex homosexual relationships as an adult. Much, if not all, of homosexuality depends on the difficulty... Okay, that's the same thing I just read. thought you popped a new one up on me. There we go. Um, so that was what I just read, but we're coming up on it a little later, which is fine. Um, in that spot, you look at homosexuality, and I know our society, let's just be frank, they want to get back to a DNA. Here's the thing. This is why they want to do this. We want to, in our society, come back to it's in my genes so that I'm not responsible. Everything, my anger problems, in my genes so I'm not responsible. My homosexuality is in my genes so I'm not responsible. My tendency towards addiction is in my genes so I'm not responsible. Sin is in your DNA. It's in your, it's in your flesh. We're born as children of wrath, you know, children of in, uh, iniquity, all of those things. It's in us. But there is still a responsibility. And where we are as a society, just as an FYI, we, you remember in basketball when you played no blood, no foul? I mean, you know, we all said we played that. None of us, I never played a game where you really had to bleed to get a foul, but I mean, we all did, no blood, no foul. But in that spot, if there's no victim, there's no sin. That's where we are as a society. So you can rip off a corporation because there's not really a sin. Stockholders, there's no victim in that. I mean, you know, nameless, faceless stockholders. So there's no sin in ripping off a corporation. But if I steal five bucks out of your wallet, well, then our friendship's over because there's a victim and there's sin there. But if I feel, steal five bucks out of 10 million people's wallets, well, nobody really noticed, right? Same thing in homosexual relationship. To consenting adults, there is no victim. Yes, there is. Those folks are victims, number one, and God's a victim. Number two, they've sinned before the Lord. Homosexuality, if you trace it back, most, the great vast majority, the vast majority had a poor relationship with their dad. And so then they began to fantasize about what it meant to be a man and be connected to a man. Those fantasies began to turn into actions. Those actions began to turn into a lifestyle. That's the progression for most. I don't want to give you a percentage because I don't have some scientific thing, but the vast majority. Now, in case you go, well, this is typical Baptist talk, and he doesn't care about homosexuals. I was a pallbearer in my gay uncle's funeral. I sent him a Bible. I shared Christ with him. I sat at, at the, at the uh, Christmas table. Uncle Mark's at one end. Uncle Bobby's at the other end. That's odd. And there we are. I've been in it. You know, not in it. But, you know, in the, the, the realm of that spot in those sections. And... He died of AIDS. He died of AIDS at a young age. Show me an old homosexual couple. You think of one? Think any 75, 80-year-old homosexual couples that you've seen? No. They're all young, and they die young. They die young. It's just how it is. The average age of death for a homosexual man is in his 40s. It kills you. I stood as a pallbearer, and I walked out that, that, uh, down that, that um, processional in that Catholic church right down the center aisle, and I saw shattered faces of homosexuals as another friend went down that aisle. I got a great heart for them, 
tremendous heart. I want to see them come to Jesus. You know, Corinthians says that's what some of you were. So they could come to Christ. But that's a result from that absent father wound. It's not just, well, hey, it's just a new hip thing. It is because dad wasn't there or mom wasn't there in a lesbian relationship or was too hard on them. That's where it comes from in the vast majority of cases. And in our society, we say, no victim, no sin. Wrong. That's not true. So homosexuality in that, and I've been in it with my own family uh, in that spot. Now, what is it that every son wants and needs from his father? What is it that every son wants and needs from his father? If we kind of go through these things of, you know, how to, how to be a deadbeat dad is what we've been kind of going through type things. You know, we don't want to do that or end there or not even, I shouldn't say that so harshly. Sometimes we just don't know we're doing the wrong thing, so we're not a deadbeat dad. We're just going in the wrong direction. What is it that we need that every son wants from his father? Now, singles, don't turn your minds off and go, oh, okay, here's where I'm not really included and they put me out into to the corner. That's not it at all. This is you looking back to what you needed from your dad that maybe you didn't get. So you can understand what this is so you can get that from your Heavenly Father. Number one, time together. Every son needs from his father time together. We need to be able to just spend time. Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. Your wife spells love, T-I-M-E. That's how they spell it. Now what, what is the thing that we have the hardest thing given? T-I-M-E. I told somebody the other day, I said, if, you know, I'd rather send somebody 100 bucks than, than you know, talk to them for an hour sometimes, you know, if it's some type of charity type thing. I mean, just what, how much? You know, let's just get it done. Because we all got time is so crunched. But our kids need time. What do we need from our parents? Time. What are we talking about? Remembering dad, was he there? Did he give the time to be able to be there? A couple things that we do in my house. I'm not a perfect dad. I'm not trying to set myself up. We have Father-Son Night. My wife comes to Beth Moore's Living Proof on Tuesday night. So Tuesday night's Father-Son Night. So we come up here. We've come up here and played basketball and racquetball. You can do the same thing. I don't have some faster privilege. It's for everybody. You can do the same thing. Go over there and we play. We have, have a good time together. Uh, last week, uh, this Tuesday, we built a fort in the front room. And we just got blankets and all the pillows from all over and just set up a fort and then ordered a pizza and had pizza together. And watch the Red Sox and Indians a little bit. I mean, we just had father-son time. We'll play tennis together. We'll go, you know, he's got a gift certificate from his birthday to Target. So we're going to go to Chick-fil-A and eat at Memorial City and then go to Target. He's going to buy some toy. It's father-son night. He looks so forward to it. So forward to it. I get home tired and I'm looking real forward to it. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, is it tonight again? Okay. Let me get, get going and get into it and go for it. So do those sort of things. I try to read the Bible with him on, on mornings. We don't hit... Every morning, I can promise you that. I try to get with him. We have Secret Boys Bible Club. So we get together and we read and, and talk and do stuff like that. And so we high-five. We play a lot. It's just time. Just time wrestling. You know, because if, if I'm wrestling with him and playing with him and all of that, those things that maybe you didn't have with your dad. My dad, we were divorced, they were divorced when I was two. I saw him first and third weekends a month. That takes away from the time. That takes away from the time. We spent a lot of time then, but it took away from the time. Number two. Life skills. Life skills. Son needs life skills. Somebody gave me this book, and I think it's a, a pretty fun book. It's Danger, The Dangerous Book for Boys. I don't know if, it, if you've ever seen this, but it's, it's kind of a fun thing. I'll give you a couple of chapter titles um, in it. Guys need life skills. Okay. Uh, building a treehouse. Laws of football. Making a bow and arrow. Juggling. Dog tricks. The moon, things about the moon, first aid, 
marbles, um, uh, hunting and cooking a rabbit. Pretty good, you know, kind of fun. Tanning a skin, you know, all these different just, just life skill things. And they're just kind of weird, crazy things, but it's just kind of fun. Guys need to be able to hear from their dads, how do you treat a woman? How do you treat a girl? How do you act in a certain situation? Uh, took Grayson to, we, we went to Sonic um, and for his birthday. Anywhere you want to go, Grayson. You can go anywhere in the entire city of Houston. Where you want to go? Sonic. We can ma- manage that. We go. It was raining. The spigot was coming over uh, off the drain of Sonic, so he wanted to park under it so it would hit the car. You know, it would rain on the car, this big waterfall. So we parked, and I had to position the car just right to get it to run down the window. And so uh, he, he started joking, and he said, Daddy, it's like Clifford's peeing on us, which is the big red dog. And I said, yeah, it is. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. And so we order Sonic and do all this stuff. So we get to his room. I drop him off. His, his teacher's Miss Moses. Uh, and I uh, drop him off there, and I, I walk in class. I, I give him a hug. I kiss him. I always say, listen, learn, and love. That's our, our code for, for school. That's what I want you to do. I want you to listen. I want you to learn, and I want you to love. Okay, so those, those three things. So I kiss him, and I, I, Miss Moses says, what did you do for your birthday? He said, we went to Sonic. I said, yeah, tell her, uh, tell her about the waterfall at Sonic. Dumb, I shouldn't have said that, but then this is what I was thinking. It was fun, you know, just it was something to talk about. He goes, yeah, it was like Clifford peeing on us. And I go, Grayson, come here. And she, she goes, what? And I said, Grayson, come here. And I got down on one knee, and I said, Grayson, we don't talk about that stuff in front of girls. Your teacher is somebody you need to respect, and you need to not talk about that. We don't talk about peeing or poo-poo or any of that in front of girls. We don't do that. Do you understand? Yes. Yes what? Yes, sir. Okay. I love you, and gave him a kiss, and, you know, he went off. But in that moment, he's got to learn as a, as a five-year-old, six-year-old, you don't talk about these things in front of girls. You know, you and Dad chumming around, we're just being silly, goofy guys. But, you know, you've got to teach him how do you treat, treat a girl. When Grayson will yell at Kelly, and he'll, he'll, he'll get to talk to me, you know, and I'll tell him, and he's been spanked for talking to his mom in a way he's not going to talk to his mom. And that's it. You're, you're not going to talk to your mom like that. And anybody who talks to their mom, to Kelly like that, is going to have to deal with me, and you're going to get a spanking. That's the stuff. And some of us didn't get that. So we're talking to our wives in ways we shouldn't talk to our wives. Because somebody didn't spank us. And you need to be spanked. You don't talk to her like that. So we need life skills from that dad, and we didn't get them. See. Dad's direction with solid why answers. Dad's direction from solid why answers. I I miss Proverbs 22, uh, verse 6, but you could just hear it. And it says this. um, Let me find it in my notes. Train a child in a way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your strength. So we need God's direction of why as we walk along. Why is it like this? Well, it's just how it is. Tell them why. Age appropriate, but tell them why. How many of us, don't raise your hand, learned about the birds and the bees from one of our peers, not our dad? Most of us, yeah. We learned about it by somebody who had a Playboy in third grade, and we went out behind the you know, metal building at school and looked at it, and you know, we still got images in our mind of that, that trash and all that stuff. But nobody took us aside and told us why. Why this? Why that? Why is a hard answer, a hard question to answer? But we've got to be able to tell why. And some of the, the things that we need is why. So I, I ask you, 
with your dad, did you get time together? Did you get life skills? Did you get why? Or did you find out all these things on your own, doing other things? Number four, dad's convictions through modeling. Dad's convictions through modeling. You will leave your son with what you have lived out in your home. You will leave your son with what you have lived out in your home. What did your dad model to you? Did he model that everybody's an idiot in the world except you and him? Did he model that the way you respond is by crushing people, by getting mad at them? Did he model that work is the most important thing? Did he model that money was the most important thing? Did he model that you're not a man if you don't like sports and you don't hunt and fish? Did he model... What did he model? What he modeled is probably what you're trying to accomplish in a lot of ways. What are you modeling for your children? What are you modeling for your family? Are you modeling prayer? Are you modeling Bible study? Are you modeling church is important? I'm not just saying that because I want higher attendance here, but are you modeling those sort of things? You know, we, we uh, passed by a guy, and I don't do this every time, but he was standing at the Fiesta on I-10 in like, is it Bingle or something? Is that what the Fiesta is? Blaylock? I always get all those roads kind of just run together for me, but Blaylock. And so I said, hey, you know what, let's go. And we went to whatever little restaurants around there. We bought him some food um, and came back. And I said, Grayson, come with me. And we went and we handed this guy food and gave it to him. And I just said, I I laid it in his lap and I said, um, he was in in a wheelchair. I said, I want you to know we're giving you this food because we're Christians and we believe in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, if you don't work, you won't eat. (laughs) And so (laughs) you've got to pray and ask God to give you a job because you can't sit on a corner your whole life. But for today, I'm going to bless you because God's blessed me in a lot of ways. And Grayson just sat there wild-eyed, kind of a little bit behind me, going, oh, goodness, what's this guy? He doesn't look like any of our friends, you know. And we got in the car. Well, Daddy, why'd you do that? Well, what? Just modeling. There's times of compassion. There's times that you do these things. You know, and then he's been big on this lately. He'll lean over to me. He'll be talking to me. He'll go, tell him about God. And then I'll go, you tell him about God. I'm not telling him about God. You tell him about God. And I'm like... Why do I got to be the one? You know what I mean? <laughs> if you think it, it's laid on your heart, you do it. But he's seen that modeled. You know, we share Christ. I share Christ with people. I want him to know that. That's an important thing. So, number three, dad's heart. Dad's heart. Every son needs and wants from his father, dad's heart. Give you three things um, to kind of uh, give you... Um, uh, the, the thoughts of, and this is really, I really want you to take this home with you. There's three things that every kid needs to hear, particularly sons. Three things that every son, daughter as well, I'm sure, needs to hear. And so I want you to write them down. We don't have blanks for them, but they're, they're important that you need to write them down. And I want you to think about, did you hear these from your, your dad? Number one, I love you. I love you. Just simple, I love you. Number two, I'm proud of you. You hear that from your dad a lot? You know, you got to hear these things a lot. I love you. I'm proud of you. And then number three, you are good at blank. Fill in the blank. Whatever it is. Those three things heard by, by a child's heart over and over and over, those make a huge difference. And you know what? You can say those things as an uncle. You could say those things as a Sunday school teacher. You could say those things as a friend. You know, all those things can be said. It doesn't have to be, well, I don't have any kids. I don't have any place to say them. Your, your wife probably needs to hear these things. Your girlfriend needs to hear these things. Your friends, man to man, somebody at your table needs to hear you say these things to them. Those three things are 
crucial. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're good at blank. How many of the scars in your life would not be there if you'd heard those things from your dad? How many of the things you're running after? You wouldn't be running after at warp speed if you'd have heard those things from your dad on a consistent, heartfelt basis. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're good at blank. I, I try to take that and tell my, my son that all the time. I, I tell him, I'll grab his face when we're, when we're going to bed at night and you know, we're still kind of in the tucking in stage. But I think you ought to do this. You've got teenagers. You ought to just love on them. That acne-faced, oily, just you hug them. Don't, I don't care if they want to hug you back or not. You keep hugging them and loving on them. I look at them in the face and say, you know what? Out of all the little boys in the world, this is what I actually tell them. I said, I went all over the world today. And I looked all over the world to find one boy. And you know who I found? You. You know who I want to be your, my son? You. You're a great kid. I'm proud of you. I love you. You're so good at such and such. You're awesome. What do I get back sometimes? I know, Dad. I know, Dad. I know. I know, I know. But what? it's seeping in that heart. I want him to see my face at the end of the day. I love you. I, no matter what. He, he did some things wrong the other day. I said, you know, Grace, I love you no matter if you do things right or wrong. But you do need to do the right thing. And then we'll have a little teachable moment. If your dad would have looked you in the face every night and said that, these wounds wouldn't hurt like they do. Maybe he didn't. Maybe you don't even have a place to do that with. But your Heavenly Father is grabbing your face every night and saying, you know what? I've looked all over the world. The verse is, I've looked all over the world to find one whose heart is completely mine so that I can strongly support it. Looks you in the face. He says, I love you. I'm proud of you. And you're good at whatever it is. That's a good word from the Heavenly Father. If you don't have kids, that's cool. That's no problem. You got somebody in your life that needs to hear that. It might be sitting at your own table. If you're here and your dad never said that, you know what? I wish he would have for you. But guess what? The Heavenly Father says it to you. Last thing, two things, and then we're done. I want to read you a World War II letter. A guy handed um, somebody speaking in this kind of capacity after they were done. It says, My father was killed in World War II when, he was, when I was three years old. I knew in my heart that he loved me. My mother told me that he loved me. But I always longed to hear it from him myself. When my, mother and father step, my, when my mother and stepfather retired and left Alaska, I came over one day to help them pack. My mother took an old army photograph of my father in his army uniform off her dresser and gave it to me and said, uh, Here, this is for you. I know your father would want you to have it. It was the same photograph that I'd seen for many years. I took the picture from her and I accidentally dropped it and the cheap metal frame hit the floor and broke and shattered the glass. Sick at heart, I reached down to salvage what was left of this family treasure. But behind the photograph, I found a letter placed there 37 years before, long since forgotten. It was a letter from my father to me, his three-year-old son. The last letter he had written before he had died. And in it, it said that he loved me and he longed to come home to be with me. Unbelievably, I finally heard the words that I longed to hear from my dad, who was long since dead. Gordon Dobley, Dalby, Dalby, I guess is how you say his name, said this, I observed observe that inside most every business suit, most stayed press sports shirt, lies the wounded heart of a boy longing for his daddy. 
Inside that suit is a boy longing for his daddy. We're going to hear this last song by Paul Overstreet saying, I'm seeing my father in me. I walk the way he walks. I talk the way he talks. Some of us need to change that walk, change that talk. Some of us need to be incredibly grateful because you've had a great dad and you need to write him a note and say, God, or, or say, Dad, God has blessed me with you and, and I'm grateful. Some of us, you don't know who your dad is. But that's what's the beauty of Christianity. We all have a father in God the Father. Let's listen to this song together and then we'll divide up into our groups. Last night we brought the children by visit their grandpa and it's plain to see they're truly part of him. While we were there, their grandma took out some old photographs. Man, he sure looked a lot like me back then. I'm seeing my father in me. I guess that's how it's meant to be. And I find more and more like him each day. I notice I walk the way he walks I notice I talk the way he talks I'm starting to see my father And today I took my wife for a walk Down that older road Where my daddy took my mom And we found the time to mention things we never had before And we shared some thoughts about the family line Yeah, I'm seeing my father in me I guess that's how it's meant to be And I find more and more like him each day I notice I walk the way he walks I notice I talk the way he talks I'm starting to see my father in me And now looking back I can recall the times we disagreed When I could not take hold of his old-fashioned Lord, we come and we thank you, Jesus, um, for our dads. We pray, God, 
that you would allow us to just understand what goes on in our hearts because of that relationship. For some in this room, Lord, it is a, a look back with incredible honor, respect, wonder, praise. I just can't believe that the father that they had was such, such the man that he was, and they, they just want to grow up to be half the man that he is, Lord, or live to be half the man that he is because he's just a great dad. Others, Father, are in these wounds are real. They, they, there's an absentness. Um, so I pray for that, Lord. I pray, God, knowing that there's some in here that, that are dads now, let them be the kind of dads they need to be. And there's some in here, Lord, that want to be dads. And I pray that you'd bless them, that if they're married, that their, their wife would uh, have a baby. Uh, if they're single, that you'd give them a wife at the right time and they'd be a dad one day. Uh, let's wait on your timing, of course, Lord, but we just pray for that. We want to be men that operate in a, in a father-son or father-daughter relationship, um, even when we're the son or we're the father. And so we just thank you. I pray for our group times around the table. They'd be good. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, go ahead and break up in your groups.